The material discussed and presented in this podcast is for general information only and any reliance on such material is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Reference to any information, product, process, service, or organization does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by pros. Views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement by pros of them or any entity they represent. Views expressed by pros employees are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views, standards, or policies of pros or any of its directors, officers, employees, or shareholders. Welcome to Interface, a podcast where we connect technology and culture through conversation. Interface is brought to you by Empower at Pros. Empower is dedicated to attracting, developing, and retaining Black talent at Pros. Pros helps people and companies outperform by enabling smarter selling in the digital economy. I'm your host, Jennifer Plummer, and today I'm joined with my co-host, Matthew and Sierra. Um, our guest today is Kelsey Ruger. Chief Product and Technology Officer at Hello Alice. Uh, Kelsey has a passion for empowering small business to lead the development of a comprehensive toolkit for business growth and financial fitness, empowering over 1 million small businesses across the United States. Kelsey is a storyteller and loves using stories to make connections that resonate with his audience and drive impact at a global scale. He is dedicated he is a dedicated advocate for entrepreneurship, co-founding High Drive TV, and serving as the president of the Houston Interactive Marketing Association. As a UX and design thinking instructor at the University of Houston, Kelsey shares his ex- expertise to inspire the next generation of problem solvers. Recognized as one of the Houston Business Journal's 40 Under 40 in 2012, Kelsey is driven to make a difference and create a better world. Welcome to Interface Podcast. Thank you. Thanks you all for having me. So please give us uh, your background and how you came into technology. So my background technology probably starts, and I guess technology and design, probably start for me when I was probably eight or nine. And I was always a tinkerer. So when I was little, that manifested itself in, you know, Lego. Tinker toys, Lincoln block. Uh, but as I got older and uh, my family members would uh, introduce me to new technology, right? So early on, it's, you know, early stage technology, toys and things like that. But my aunt, um, when I was probably nine years old, got an IBM computer. And I don't know if you guys remember the big honking computers with two floppy disk drives. And so I, as a kid, had already learned how to use print shop. I knew how to use all the software installed. I had gotten to the point where I had written a little small program. And one day I decided I wanted to learn everything that was in the computer. And so I started at the beginning and I started testing everything. And for those of you who are old school in the audience, you'll know the, the term F-Disk and what F-Disk does. So I got to F-Disk, erased her entire hard drive. And 
she didn't know how to fish. And so she called me at 11 years old, said, you better get over here, fix my computer. And so at 11 years old, I had to figure out how to restore this machine work. And that was sort of the entry of my journey into technology. I already started, um, I was in middle school, so I had already started in computer class, really understanding uh, beyond playing games, what you could do with a computer. And I ended up going to uh, Reagan High School, which today is called Pike High School. Um, and it was a magnet program for computer programming and design. While I was there, I learned a lot of stuff about you know programming and creating software, really early stage, got my first really early introduction to the internet. Um, but one of the first programs we learned that was on the Mac is this program called HyperCard. And HyperCard was one of the first early programs that really used hyperlinking to link things together. And so at a very early age, I was learning how to link documents together and really learning, learning what would become the foundation of the internet. And so that's really where my, my story started. Went to college, majored in computer science. Um, and at the time, you can't really get jobs doing design, like what we call UX today. That didn't exist, right? Like if you were a designer back then, it was desktop publishing or working at the newspaper. And so once I got to my first startup, I was able to combine those skill sets and really start to understand how you create things that uh, people could use that were also desired to be used by those people. So uh, from early age, like I said, I was always a tinker and that was really what sort of my foundation is. I like to figure out how things work and why people do the things that they do. And that's really sort of my drive and passion when it comes to doing anything, whether it's creating products, running a company or a team, it's, it's really sort of all from the same place. Yeah, I, mean, I I love the fact that sometimes when you break things and trying to have, figure out how to fix them, is it this is the best way to learn a new and you know, a new skill or get the you know, a strong yeah. foundation of understanding how things work. Yeah, I don't think people appreciate breaking things. Like when you break it and you have to fix it, you learn a lot. Uh, even if your life is at risk at the moment, you learn a lot about, <laughs> you know, how to get things oh, working. So this again. was a life-threatening situation that you were in, it sounded <laughs> right. like. It's the whole uh, taking apart yeah. remote control and putting it back together. Yep. Uh, I had a question. When you first started in technology, you know, you're talking about like IBM and um, like the, 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 the Macs and like the, the, the simple programs. And then you kind of fast forward to now. And anytime I, I hear developers talk, there's all these random things that you can do. Do you think it was easier to get into technology and then grow starting in the very beginning? Or do you think like, how do you think that approach has evolved until now? Like if someone wants to get in technology, do you think that mountain's harder to approach? I think it's easier now. It's just faster paced. Like back then, if you were getting into technology, you really had to know where to go and look for it. So for example, like as a kid today, if you want to learn a programming language, it's all over the place. When I was 13 years old, if I wanted to learn how to do C-sharp, not only did I have to have, that's another thing kids today don't understand. I had to have the 30 disks that it took to install C++ or whatever it was on the computer, 
you had to find that. Then you had to know, I have a book or a teacher or someone who could mentor you. Today, the resources are so widely available. Like if you really want to get into it, it's, it's really a function of where you learn, who's going to mentor you and what types of projects you want to do to reinforce the things that you're learning. Um, but it's definitely easier now. It's just so fast paced because things change so fast. Now you have really have to keep your, your eye on what change and how that's going to impact what you're doing as a career. Discover how Pros Enterprise AI can help you drive profitable growth at Outperform 2024. Held at the Hyatt Regency Grand Cypress in Orlando, Florida, May 20th through 22nd, 2024. Hear from keynote speakers, Dr. Michael Wu, Chief AI Strategist at Pros, and Andres Reiner, Pros President and CEO. Register today at www.pros.com slash outperform. Now you're a chief product officer, product mm-hmm. and technology officer. What, what was that transition like? And what do you, what does that person, you know, what does, what does that mean? What do you do? So in, in our world, typically technology and product fit in two different worlds. Um, one of the things that we're, and I think we ran into the same thing here at Alice, and I think you're seeing it in other companies where there's so much overlap between your chief product and your chief technology officer. If you have someone who understands both worlds, you can, one, it makes it easier to manage the two teams of, of, of people, but you also get some synergy in that you have one person who can kind of guide both the product vision and the vision of how you get there. Um, and then when you bundle in the design part, it makes it a lot easier to manage. And I think with my background, I'm coming from an engineering background, uh, formal education and always having been trained in design, it sort of was a natural evolution. So as you move up through the organization and you become more responsible for not just how do you build the things, but what are we going to do? What are we going to, how do we do it? And why do we want to do it? That's sort of that natural evolution where at least for me, it was a natural evolution. And not just product, but also a role where I could oversee both things. And I think because of the nature of the companies that I've worked with, I had the opportunity to sort of reinforce those skills over time, managing different teams um, of people. And I think the, the other thing that people sort of miss that I think is sort of foundational for you to be a successful manager is it's not just about the skills. Like the talent is one thing. You, you really have to invest in learning how to manage people and what it takes to lead people, because at the end of the day, as a, as a manager, you can only do so much, right? You're highly dependent on your team to execute and to deliver those results. And if you're not good at communicating with them or setting expectations, you just make your job hard, right? Because you've got to spend more time uh, following up on those types of things. Follow up on that. What's the cognitive load like? You know, you have all these, uh, you know, organizations and teams flowing up to you. It's not, it's technology product design. It sounds like I, I can't imagine, like I I'm responsible for one product, but I couldn't imagine what it's like for multiple products. And then on top of that, the technology, can you, can you maybe speak to that? So there's a couple of things. And one of the secrets is you gotta hire the right people. 
I can't emphasize that enough. You have to hire the right people. And then you have to do what all managers say they're going to do. But so many struggle with doing is let people do what they're good at. And if you let people do what they're good at, it actually reduces the cognitive load because I don't have to remember everything the engineers are doing because the VP of engineering. I don't have to remember, although I usually remember everything every product manager on our team is working on. I don't have to, right? Like the, the director of product can do that. But I think um, there's a, a, a lesson I learned from a book that Jack Welsh wrote. And it's like, you have to be, as the leader of an organization, very intimately aware of the day-to-day operations. You might not run it, but you have to be aware of what's going on. So even if you're not deep in the weeds on a particular product, you need to understand what that product manager's challenges are. So that if things bubble up to you, you're not, you know, completely unaware of what's happening in your organization. Was that a hard thing for you to, to sort of learn as hire the right people and let them do what they're good at? Or was that sort of always at the forefront of your mind as you was, as you were growing into lead, uh, this leader? You have to learn, but you also learn from looking at bad examples too. Like if you if you've ever worked for a bad boss, you know, like don't do these ten things, and you know why you don't. I think what's been really helpful for me is putting myself in situations where I can maintain a level of self awareness as I moved up through the organization because that's it's easy as you move up and move into more senior positions to become not aware of how you're coming across the people or not aware of the, the things that you think are great, but everyone else is like, why the heck did you say that? That doesn't make any sense. So I think you have to be invested in building your leadership as you move up through the organization. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen. And I've been fortunate um, to be in situations where I had good mentors or the company supported that type of development um, because it's key. Right? Like as a leader, you're not writing code. You're trying to make it easy for people to do their job. So when you have a vision of a uh, direction you want um, the product to go or the technology to go, how do you propagate that idea throughout the organization? I typically start with making sure the vision is clear. So if, for example, I want to do a new feature around AI, I'm not going to just go and say, we need this feature. I need to plug it into what our vision is, like what is our vision of the company, how this fits with what we said our particular OKRs we're working on in that particular time frame, and then make sure that the expectations are clear. Sometimes I will catch out things or I'll give them an idea, especially if it's something really new that we haven't talked about before. What I do try to avoid is giving them the solution because uh, that's why you hire people, right? Like you don't hire people as an executive to dictate to them, go build this thing that I thought of. One, because I don't know if my idea is right. Like if I come up with a solution, my idea could be very wrong because I haven't validated it yet. And so typically my approach is make sure they understand the vision, set clear expectations, get them to make sure they have, they understand the expectations and they let them go. Because that's how you get the best results from your team, especially if you've done what I said earlier, done a good job hiring. 
you haven't done a good job hiring, probably will have to be more hand-holding, um, but it should become really clear really early on. That's a very interesting takeaway is give them the vision, but not the solution. This is where I think we should go. And then you let them kind of go forth and see if they can make the vision real. Right. And, and I think, sense. yeah, I think as you, it's a tough, I think a lot of managers who were producers, like you were a designer or you were an engineer or you were a writer, any of the roles that produced it, it is a hard transition for them to understand that as a manager, your job is no longer to produce the thing. It is to still attend the other people producing. And that transition is so hard for some of you managers. I think they end up frustrating a lot of employees who are really good at their job. Like I can't write code today like the engineers we have. There's no way possible I can. They know more about it. They're in it day to day. For me to try to tell them how to do their job doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So it, I think there's much more value in a leader being able to set clear vision and direction and then providing the tools and resources that people need to go and, and execute on that. What advice would you give um, people considering a career in design or um, engineering today? Interestingly, I, I mean, aside, I have this thing like talent won't get you so far, right? Like everyone knows, if, everyone's going to be able to write code and everyone's going to be able to get it Figma and do stuff. I think your ability to understand the world around you, like see and observe how people are actually doing things, ask the right question is a much more powerful um, tool set. But I think the advice I would give them if I were making that concrete is be t-shaped or be an expert general. Like you're going to have a, an area where you're an expert, right? Like it could be writing code, it could be a designer, but if you've got some ancillary skills like psychology and understanding why people buy and understanding cognitive bias, then you're going to be a lot further than the person who only has skill because you'll understand how to apply this, which is a, it, ultimately when you're in a business world, that's really what you want. Like you don't want to just be a great designer. You want to be a designer who creates solutions people want to buy. And so uh, that would be my advice is learn the sort of adjacent fields because it'll make you stronger in your course. Do you have a process for branching out? You know, I can, I see that a lot of people are always focused on what's in front of them, their day-to-day, -day, the fire that they put out. How do you find time, you know, throughout your career, even now to find those adjacent skills and branch out and then maybe practice them? So there's a, a, a concept I heard from one of my mentors. He called it net or no extra time. And so he recommended, he's like, hey, you're, if you're in a car, listen to an audiobook. If, instead of watching five hours of TV at night, watch three and read a book and make sure your books are um, cross-discipline. Like don't only read in your discipline. Read outside of your discipline because a lot of times when you are trying to synthesize innovation, it takes you pulling from different areas. So for example, if you've read about how um, Michelangelo uh, mixed his paint when he was painting 
something, or you learned how he did a sculpture, and you could pull that information in, you don't know where it's going to combine something else and come from there. And so I think reading across different um, areas and also having friend and acquaintances that work in different fields. Like if everyone you know is an engineer, you're only going to think like an engineer. But if you have friends who are lawyers, friends who are nurses, friends who are um, anthropologists, you're going to be able to have different types of conversations. But I think that's where it starts. Another practice that I use, um, and I wish I, I'd thought about this, if I knew you were going to ask that question, I would brought it in, but I have this thing I call a commonplace and so my commonplace book is probably 15 to 20 years of notes that I pulled from different topics that I put together. And every time I add to it, I go back and I read to those notes. And so over time, it's allowed me to become more familiar with different areas. So if you ask me, for example, like, why do I think entertainment is going in a certain direction? I actually could probably pull some things together that lead me to in that direction. Uh, and so again, I think it's all about being curious and wanting to learn from different areas. That's going to really help you strengthen any core skill set. Yeah. So you mentioned about hiring the right people and you kind of just talked about also kind of the breadth of the T here. Um, when you're building your teams, are you also kind of looking to diversify the backgrounds of, you know, maybe they're all software engineers, but this one came from, you know, uh, you know, has a background at a, at a major, you know, big corporation, but another person, you know, maybe had a less prestigious background or something like that. Um, uh, I sort of go through several phases. When we interview, we interview for skill set first, right? Like you got to have, you don't get in the door if you can't do the thing. Then we're looking cultural fit. Then we're looking at sort of the intangibles. Like did this person, um, have experience doing some other career path um, before they got to Hello Alice. So for example, we have engineers on our team that are musicians. We have engineers that are artists. We had an engineer one that was so good on the piano, like he could have made the choice to be a professional concert pianist. Like that's how good he was. And so that mindset um, helped him see things differently. And let's go directly the way he wrote code, but it definitely helped him see things differently. And I think that's important. Um, it's the same reason why people tell you when you're in school, don't just study, right? Like go join clubs and go have other activities, not just to pad your, your resume for college, but those things help you become more well-rounded. Let me just shamelessly plug the podcast. Um, that's exactly what this is happening right now. Every time we talk to people, I, I'm just getting so much information from listening to you. But every time we talk to people, we're doing that same thing. And I think, you know, the, the this podcast is that extracurricular, but we're we're getting engaged, we're learning. And we're I know that I brought some of the things that I've learned from the various, not, not just the podcast, but our guests into my day job. I'm sure Jenny and Sierra have done the same thing. So yeah, shout out to our pros for their ability to have employee resource groups that give us um, the opportunity to go out and, you know, explore what we want to explore and develop the skills, how we want to develop them. That is awesome. What programs do you think companies should implement to increase Black talent in technology? Um, 
Well, this is a topic that we've talked about a lot at Hello Island over the last probably six months, just because of the nature of what we do and, and some things that we've been involved. And so I would say in, instead of companies looking at DEI as a thing that is unfair to certain groups, here's the way I always tell people. If I, if the world was on a hill, right? Like, and I always sat at the bottom of this hill. And so anytime resources poured in, I would always automatically get a lot of them because everything's going to roll downhill to me. The fact that we go back and even that hill is not unfair. What it is, is it's a, that the people who were not able to inequality want to participate in it, not necessarily take anything away from anyone else. But they truly understanding what, what the, the goal is, is the first step that companies should take, right? Like it's not about, um, giving things to someone who is not qualified. It's about making sure that you have a bigger pool of qualified to choose from um, when you're making a decision. So um, uh, one program I think that would be useful for companies is just to do more things where you, you I don't want to say fourth, but you, 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 you encourage um, things to be more diverse. So it could be as simple as having more programs where you learn about people's culture. Having more programs where you learn about how different people accomplish different goals. And this is something I learned in college in sociology, because when you go through sociology and you're American, right? Or you're from the Western world, when you see certain things that people who are not in the Western world do, you think, oh my God, why do they do that? Well, because in their culture, that is the thing that they do, right? And I think is not to write everything to your lens, it's to learn that there are different lenses and how how those different lenses have adapted to the world will make you uh, a much more well-rounded person. I think that thing works for company. I have an interesting question to ask you, and I may fumble the words, so just bear with me. So at I'm I'm loving this conversation and I'm interested in as a black senior leader. And the way that you approach diversity and inclusion, or even the way you lead, have you worked with people who have thought similarly? Like, have you um, almost like seek out organizations who sort of align with the way you think, which I think most people would be like, yes, I want to make sure that I work for someone, you know, a company that aligns with my core values or have you ever run into um, friction where you have other senior leaders, basically your peers, who you kind of have to not necessarily convince them to come to to your side of the table, but to sort of kind of change the way they approach these types of topics or even their style of leadership? I think, that, honestly, if you look at anything we do, and I, I'm going to say America for sure. America is a capitalistic country, right? So nearly everything that we decide from a business perspective is driven by that underlying principle. Like we're capitalism. I mean, we all benefit from that too, but I think most of the time when you work with people, it's not necessarily that they're not wanting to do things, but that is this that bottom line of the dollar that they're looking at 
So I think when you understand that, it's much easier to craft a message to, to your way of thinking. If you know it, that is actually what is drawn. And it, from a business perspective, there, there may be other biases that come into play, but from an American business standpoint, that is actually what's driving most business, not whether or not uh, they want to be equitable or not. Is, is that going to cost me a dollar? Or is it going to earn me a dollar? Is really sort of the, unfortunately, the way I think that filters start sort of understanding it that way. And I learned that really early on in my career. I had a, one manager took the time to explain to me how to sell things. And he really underlines this thing of people don't buy things because of logic. They buy things because of emotion. And then they apply logic to justify the decision of faith. And if you understand that, that principle, it's a whole lot easier to both people to your way of thinking. That if you think everyone's being logical, which we all know they're not, right? Absolutely. I, th I know from my perspective and my career being a Black woman, obviously I always show up to the table with that sort of lens. And sometimes it can feel like a burden to sometimes be the one of few or the only at the table to kind of be forced to think through that lens and bring people to say, okay, have you thought about this perspective? As a as a black man, you know, navigating through corporate, have you ever felt it was sort of a, a burden to kind of carry or do you just kind of take it and say this is sort of I've accepted that this isn't going to be my role in certain situations and you just kind of roll with the punches? I kind of have accepted that that's going to happen. But more recently, I've started to become more of the mindset that. If you are the, the minority, it is not always your job to teach other people how to do certain things. Like at some point, you got to expect people to see it for themselves. And so that burden is always there. But I'll, in the back of my mind, I'm always like, it's not my job to teach you how to think about all completely. Um, and so I will work with people on like what I see uh, from my perspective. And this is, what, what does that mean? Uh, you know, part of the question you just asked, but this is one of the fundamental reasons why when I hear people say, I'm colorblind, it irks me because you can't appreciate, and let's take that out of it, but you can't appreciate anything if you don't acknowledge the thing. Correct. Right. And so, um, again, I think all of that plays into like this burden of do I always have to, you know, lead them down the path yeah 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 all right so um thank you so much kelsey for the conversation um it's no been problem. a pleasure um now it is time for us to move into the heat check i really like my air horns last time so bam, 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 bam. we're gonna do that again <laughs> oh you know um, i have that on my soundboard but i don't know if it'll come through i don't know which thing it's on but i have that all right. Uh, we, so soundboard is the next evolution of where we need to get. Is but that budget cues <laughs> our budget <laughs> Yeah. Um, so the heat check is a segment where the interface co-host uh, will share an interesting or hot topic in the world of tech or black culture. Um, and as our guest, Kelsey, feel free to chime in on any of these topics if you have a perspective. Um, okay. 
I'm going to pick on Maddie to go first this time. Okay. Um, you probably can guess what my topic is. Um, this might be a little bit outdated by the time people listen to this, but mine's all about um, the Taylor Swift Chiefs Super Bowl conspiracies. Have you heard about these? Yeah. Has anyone heard any of them? No, no. Bring no. it on. The, the Chiefs, <laughs> the NFL scripted, Taylor Swift is a CIA plant, um, and everything is like, yeah, it's being pushed. Basically, there's all these narratives that the Chiefs and Taylor Swift are in cahoots to um, just kind of just like push a push a narrative or, and like something about COVID. There's, there's all these random things. Kelsey, wh which ones have you heard? I've heard. I, I've heard all of those sort of ridiculous storylines. Story here's, here's what I always say. Have you have ever heard of Occam's Razor? You know, the simplest solution is usually the right answer. It's sort of, if you watch the yeah. movie, uh, what's the movie with Jodie? Con the Contact with Jodie Foster and she, um, uh, a research scientist. Yeah. It's sort of or a bad movie. And when I say the simplest solution is usually the right one, the simplest solution here is Taylor Swift is just a lady who happens to be mega wealthy and she's going to the game. I don't think, because the, the, the type of coordination and um, acceptance among the rest of the league. Like, yeah, I think, what about the people who are not to pull? They have to agree to keep the secret. And why would they? Like, none of it makes like the like the conspiracy theories that people come up with crazy. Like, how would they believe it too? Yeah, it's 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 great. So my heat check is from Reuters, so pretty much Chiefs coach has been used by Super Bowl conspiracy theories. I just wanted to give a, a PSA to everyone out that um, it's it's not scripted. We do pay our refs. We pay them a, a good amount of money. But Chiefs have the best quarterback in the league right now. We have the best team. I hope I hope we win, and I hope this ages well. But go Chiefs. Uh, we're in the Super Bowl. So I don't know if you're going to have the best quarterbacks, but I'll let you have Beth this weekend. <laughs> I, I wish our listeners could see um, Maddie's set up with, um, he, he's all chiefs all over the place. Red and gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, just for the fact that it's not like this is the first year you guys have been successful. So it'd be one thing to make sure you guys coming out the yeah. blue out of nowhere and winning yeah. all of a sudden, but you know, you, you, you've been around the block a few times and I think we know that you're the Kansas has a good team. Kansas State has a good team, I should say. Based out of Missouri. Just for everyone. Based out of Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> Not confusing at all. <laughs> Thanks. Looking to expand your career? Work with brilliant minds, cutting edge science and AI, and a company voted best place to work and most loved workplace. Check out open positions with pros at www.pros.com slash careers. Maddie. All right, Jenny, you want to do yours next or you want me to go? I can go. Um, so I read an article titled Inventing the Perfect College Applicant for $120,000 a Year. Christopher Rim Promises to Turn Any Student into Ivy Bait. Uh, so I picked this just because... Right, there's been a 
um, a push against um, um, supporting minority and and financially people that don't have the financial means to get the school right um those programs are not as available as they used to be um i just think it's and i think it's been a it's it's been something that's known that the more money you had or the um the longer that you're you're you've been wealthy or successful more the better chance that your kids will also get into good schools um but basically there is a company called Command Education, and it's basically uh, a mentorship set up where um, they are going to work with uh, high school students, maybe even as early as junior high, um, basically um, editing the, their extracurricular activities, um, helping them with their applications, um, making sure um, you know, preparing them for interviews and their applications. Um, and it's, you know, costs a, a lot of money to um, be able to hire these kind of services, which are called independent education consultants. Um, and this is not disclosed on a college application. Um, so obviously, if you have the means to hire people like this, then you're uh, more likely to get into a good school. Um, they're saying nine, this one company saying 94% of the people that hire their services get into one of their top three schools. Uh, so I just wanted to get everybody's thoughts on, is this fair? Is this something that should be encouraged? Um, I have my thoughts, um, but I wanted to hear from you guys. Yeah, we call it $120,000. Is that what they're that's what their the title cost? says um the so i did go to the website i didn't see anything listed on the website as far as what the base cost is um but they do have a higher level of mentor where this, they could call this mentor any time of the day they will text the students and say did you turn in your math homework you know that kind of one-on-one um 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 support um and i think the mentors get uh rewarded um they get a bonus if, if their student gets into the school that they want to get into so i think the level of pay is kind of like how much you know how much hand holding are they giving the student so the idea is that these wealthy students are paying a consultancy service to help them craft their resume to then be able to get into more prestigious colleges yes yes yeah, I think my approach to that is sounds like a great opportunity for someone to take ChatGPT's API and break down a bunch of prompts to then, you know, you just upload your resume and all the things that you're working on in school and then it will populate that. And then maybe you have a, you know, a chatbot assistant to help you with your grades or something, you know, you can go on YouTube and get all of that information, just like Kelsey said, is like, do you really need to spend $100,000 to get someone to handhold you? into getting into college or can you find those resources? I'm, I'm pretty much biased against uh, education, just my background and what I, what my observations. So um, yeah, I think I understand that, you know, if you have this, you're more likely to get into prestigious schools, but I think it's, it's, it's probably more of uh, the fact that you have money. I think it's less of the consultancy service. I mean, it, it's 
not the same, but same lane as the I'm going to these celebrities buying their kids way into these schools. I mean, to me, it's the exact, not the exact same thing again, but same vein. Um, can these students not do it on their own merit? It's kind of crazy to me. And I mean, again, while the playing field may never be level in the United States, having money will always give you some type of advantage, you know, to cut corners or find a back door or or something to get ahead. Yeah, and I'm Capitalism, not, baby. Yeah. I'm not in the I'm not in your camp like against education, but I am in the camp now of I think we've entered a time where educational institutions need to prove their work, right? Like I'm going to pay $120,000 on top of the $200,000 I have to pay the school. And you got to think about when that kid comes out and I actually have made this argument, people who are asking me, should they go get an MBA? And I'm like, will you ever earn that money back? And I make the same argument with any investment you make or school. And so my question for these consultants wouldn't be, can you get me into the school? It's, will I be able to get a job after I've paid all of this money? And is the job going to be worthwhile to help me pay all this money back um, after I'm done? And I think, you know, if you look at where we are as a country, we shouldn't be worried about whether or not um, student A or B got into the school. We should be worried about, are we going to be competitive as a nation? Are we letting enough people be prepared for us to remain competitive? And if we are not, then none of that sort of, sort of DEI debate matters, right? Because we won't have enough people to be competitive. Like when other countries are training everybody for free. Yeah, definitely wanted to clarify. I'm, I'm with you on that. It's not education generally, it's the educational institutes. I think what I would like to see in the future is these schools teaching people how to work with other people, you know, how to learn things, new things, because everything's well, is constantly changing that, that, you know, that rate is ever increasing and then how to be creative and think outside the box and pretty much circling back to what you said. How do you connect those dots, those various threads into something that you want to solve, how to problem solve? So. I think these prestigious schools, you're essentially just buying a brand. You're buying a, a, the same t-shirt, but this one says Nike on it. And now it's a little bit more expensive. Um, when I go to a place and I say, hey, I have Harvard, Harvard on my resume, that just, you know, that's what you're buying is someone saying, oh, this person went to Harvard, they must be smart. This is how I must think of them. When in fact, I think what you said is we should be measuring our schools based on the, what their output, how effective are the, the students coming out of their Absolutely. schools? That should be how we are rating these schools. Mm -hmm. 1,000% agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I want to circle back on to, I, just, I would play a little demo back on something that Matt said about just putting this into chat GPT and directing your child the way, you know, on your own, which obviously is always an option um, as parent of, uh, this is the second kid I'm, you know, trying to get to good school and any conversation you have with your teenager could be difficult at times. And so the idea of having, so, sometimes I can say something 
but then someone else says something to, to my child and they will receive it and listen and kind of take that in um, with a lot less friction. Uh, so I could see like if I could afford something like that, sort of like, oh, I'm, I might do that just so um, I have less um, points of conflict with my kid. For example, when he went to driver's ed, I paid someone else to teach him to drive because it was definitely going to be less confrontational um, to get through that situation. And so, um, you know, if I could afford it, that's a lot of money. Um, I would do that just because teenagers are hard to talk to. That is true. Uh, Sierra, you've got, I don't, Kelsey, I don't know if you have kids. Sierra, you've got uh, a son. Yeah, that's. I'm not getting, quite in high school yet, right? But he is in high school. I'm I'm approaching the driver's ed swiftly. I don't know how that's going to turn out, but absolutely, I'm I will try on my own first, and if that doesn't, I will be hiring. But once I I will definitely recommend mm-hmm. driver's ed. We'll see. Stay tuned. Yeah, <laughs> kick your battles, and that's yeah, that's For not sure. why you'll have plenty of fun to fight over yeah. the cars. <laughs> All what right. do you have for today, I'm going to wrap us up today. And if anyone out there, I'm going to take you back a little bit. I'm sure we all had to do a Black History um, report or readout or something at, at some point in our college career. I know I had to do several. So I'm going to take us back to that. Um, so in honor of Black History Month and um, it's Super Bowl weekend coming, um, I actually found an article that highlights Doug Williams, he is the first Black quarterback to play in and win a Super Bowl game. Um, So this article basically highlights the four things you should know about Mr. Doug Williams. Um, So it says 35 years ago. Did he play for the Washington football team? Say that again. Is he the... Yeah, I remember the football... I'm just patting myself on the back there. And I'm trying to remember, didn't he go to Grambling? Yes. He's a he's a native of Louisiana, um, and he played quarterback for Grambling State University, coached under um, Eddie Robinson. He earned his bachelor's degree in health and physical education. Um, he made history as the first black quarterback, first to be drafted as a uh, first-round pick. He was selected 17th overall by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he led them to three playoff games in his tenure. Then he made history again in 1987 as the first black quarterback to start in and win a Super Bowl game after being recruited by the Washington Redskins, now the Washington Commanders. Um, so shout out to Mr. Doug Williams. And as the title of this blog site, Because of You, We Can. Very cool. Fun fact. I love it. I love it. Cool. And that was back in the 80s, too. So it's which... Yeah, it's not as I don't long know. ago I know as we, we think see it long, is. It was long ago for the Washington football team. It was the last time they won. <laughs> awesome. I'm sorry, all my friends from the DB. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we want to thank you again, Kelsey, for joining um, the Interface crew today. Tell our listeners where they can find you out on the interwebs. Um, the best place to find me is probably on LinkedIn. Uh, I will usually respond to messages there within a couple of days. If it's not, I'm also on Instagram a lot, especially when I get there. Uh, but I'm pretty much on every platform. So uh, 
be on the lookout for me on social media. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn if you have questions. But on LinkedIn, I am Kelsey Ruger. And on Instagram, I'm at Kelsey So Pretty easy to find me there. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share with your colleagues, friends, and family. Drop us a line at interfacepodcast at pros.com or find us on LinkedIn. Your feedback is important to keep the show valuable and relevant, so please rate and review us on whatever platform you are listening from. We encourage you to go out and continue this conversation and even start your own. We will meet you back here on the next episode. From our crew to you, have a good one.